Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. This is Simon Sweetman, your host, and this is episode 59. I talked with uh, Nick Jarvie Waldrop, a dear friend of mine, um, and, uh, you know, a, a, a person who's done a whole lot of work across a whole lot of creative disciplines, but in particular, I talked to her about her her abilities as a podcaster and her focus in podcasting. So it was kind of fun to uh, t- to talk to another podcaster. I, I haven't really done that, uh, certainly not that often and not on tape. Um, so I, I've known Nick for about a decade and we've, we've worked together and we've become really good friends. And so we've had various versions of this kind of conversation, which, which you would think would make it easy to do a podcast with one of your mates, but sometimes it makes it a bit trickier. Uh, you're worried about what you've already covered. You're worried about how you're going to do it and, and not just collapse into hijinks and silliness and laughter. But we had a pretty serious conversation about her background. Um, she's been, she was, you know, tr- trained as an actor. She's done some dance work, some, some, some writing, but also she's a singer and a musician. You'll get to hear some of her music underneath at various parts in the, in the podcast. And then we got into the focus, which was what got her into her storytelling uh, via the podcast medium. Um, she gives some pretty good tips uh, of uh, podcasts to check out because um, she's a big avid listener of podcasts. And um, and then we talk specifically about her podcasting series called Fathom, which has just um, just um, aired on national radio and can still be accessed via their website. She did three unique stories under the title Fathom and it remains to be seen whether she'll do more. I certainly hope so, but um, certainly she's she's going to carry on podcasting in one form or another. We also had a big conversation about the uh, the big podcast at the moment, although maybe by the time you hear this, things are moving so fast, something else will have taken over, but um, Shit Town or S Town as it's, as it's called in the iTunes, um, we had a bit of an unpack about that and a bit of a discussion around uh, how that worked. So this one is for podcasting geeks, um, but it is also in, in support of some amazing work that my friend Nick has done, um, her interviews on the Fathom series that I listened to each one twice and got more out of it each time and um, I'm, I'm both really proud of her as a friend to someone I know and I was just uh, really pleased to hear the sorts of stories she was doing on, on, on a medium, on a platform like National Radio. So this is me talking to my good friend Nick Jarvie Waldrop. Um, where did you grow up and what were you doing? What was, what was big in your childhood? I grew up in Alexandra in central Otago. Um, what was happening there? Not a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a great place to grow up if you're into the outdoors, like mountain biking or I'm not sure what else. Mm. Like kayaking or rowing. There's a lot of lakes and rivers and whatnot. I was not the most adventurous child in terms of outdoor activities. Yeah. Um, So my thing was musical theatre. Yeah. Yeah. When I was five, I was Was that big there? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It was my it was, small was, niche of yeah, Alex. Yeah. But, there was um, enough happening for it to exist, and that totally. was big enough for you. Yeah. And my my first role was in The Sound of Music. Um, I played Gretel. So that was when I was about five, and that was the first experience I had had with performance yeah. and what that felt like, and um, inhabiting yeah. something else, you know. Yeah. And... It was a good experience and you wanted more straight away or you're too young to really know what was going on? Or I like, can't remember, what, yeah. actually. I think it was just uh, I was affirmed. Like, I did yeah. some stuff and then someone was like, oh, you're a lovely singer or you did yeah. so well. Yeah. And so I kept doing 
what I was told was good. Yeah. Yeah. But I did have a great time and I met a lot of, I had a lot of relationships, like friendships with people who were older or different to me, yeah. which I don't think is something I would have got if I didn't have that community. Yeah. Which was cool. I, I really dug it. Yeah. Where does the um, music kind of come into it for you? Like, obviously singing through musical theatre, but um, was music a big thing that was pushed on you in any way or a presence that you felt or how did you like fall towards it? It was a definite presence. My dad is a drummer and I've always been just enamoured with rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's playing records and stuff around the or music around the house or he actually has interesting taste in music. So he he wasn't really (laughs) playing records around the house but he would be playing drums in the house. Right. So okay. I so would ri- hear yeah, it's the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. The super sort of delicious organic sounds of just someone tapping away in the bedroom and he's a great drummer, so yeah. that um sort of really captured me and also he would play in bars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh and it's it felt like such a sneaky world to be in. Yeah. You know, like yeah. On my on the dance floor of the town and country club in my bare feet. Yeah, yeah. I can remember dancing around with drunk old ladies and having no idea you know when you're a kid and you first discover that alcohol makes adults a bit silly yeah there were people just behaving in a way i could not understand mm. but i think i was kind of vicariously these, drunk these adults <laughs> have loosened up a bit yeah, and now yeah. i feel even looser too yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so i remember like yeah just being on the dance floor and just super digging the tunes so yeah i guess music was part of my yeah, upbringing in that sense. So when do you do something with music that's not, you know, a role in a musical like a, or a amateur theatre or whatever? Like, when do you think, oh, I want to be a singer in a band or I want to write a song or I'm going to learn to play an instrument or Ooh. when does that sort of... Because that feels like that must be the next stage after what you've described. Yeah, I guess that kind of came just with being a teenager and it not being quite as cool to be a musical theatre geek anymore. Yeah. No disrespect to the teenage musical theatre geeks, I fully support your endeavours, but in small town, yeah, yeah, central Otago in the 90s, it was just not really, yeah. not cool, yeah. quote yeah. unquote. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think Rockquest m- might have been yeah. my first foray into making music that wasn't from musical theatre. There were choirs and stuff, but that was really similar. Yeah. But yeah, joined a band with like a ragtag bunch of kids who were at the hostel at my high school there was there was one high school and Alex where I grew up and the hostel was where people you know like boarding school students stayed and heaps of them were musos because they would be yeah. just killing time not yeah, at home yeah. and yeah, you know yeah. couldn't, didn't feel like studying so just they learning guitar or whatever yeah, they kept up the piano practice from when they were young because totally. it was a way to pass the time yeah yeah, yeah so I had a, a band with them yeah and it was really fun yeah and that was probably yeah how I got into writing or experiencing music in a different kind of way yeah yeah so what's the next step after that like what what's and what are you thinking uh, you know in high school have you got some sort of concept of because obviously it changes for for most people of what they think they want to do but do you are you sort of driven towards storytelling or music or the arts in some way then in, in the sense that you think that is something I'm going to carry on with I'm going to make some sort of hobby or job out of that like that's going to always be in my life yeah from the time I was little in theatre productions and stuff I decided I wanted to be an actor 
I do remember drawing a cartoon, like being asked to draw a cartoon of what you wanted to be when you grew up, and I drew a singing dentist. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. Hey, a There was like a little tray of tools, and there was like a microphone and a drill. Little Shop of Horrors was a favourite, or I don't know that I was even aware of the, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, at that point, yeah. One of the dudes in one of the musicals I was in, yeah, was a dentist. So perhaps I wanted to be as yeah. cool as him. What What's the next kind of step for you? Like you, so you're doing, you know, you're thinking of, I guess, doing what? Like I wanted to be an actor. Yeah, yeah. So I. Studied. But do you, yeah, so do you do study for that? Like, do you? Yeah, when I was at school, I studied drama as, like, to the fullest extent that I could. It wasn't a massively popular subject, and I could only do it until my second last year of school. Yeah. Or, it's so weird, it used to be forms, and now it's years. Yeah, I was in fifth form when I did drama, and then there was no sixth form drama, so I think I helped teach. I remember there was no class, so I yeah, had to right. teach a class. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a year out of having done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I was not teaching it. I was supporting the yeah, teacher. Yeah. But yeah. I was so keen on that that I sort of pursued that. And I remember doing debating. I was really into debating. And I did speech and drama lessons. And the other thing I was super into, uh, and that was really influential for me, was art and art history. I just had an amazing teacher. And yeah. he kind of encouraged me. Yeah, and into some areas of art that I hadn't really explored. Mm, mm. And I found myself thinking about the stories of artists, not just the yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. And I always found that really fascinating, kind of the story behind the product and yeah. how much more that meant. Yeah. So, so, I mean, podcasting increasingly is um, uh, falling out, I mean, at a... a, a, a goes into all sorts of different areas and gets described as, as different things, but increasingly it seems to me that it's um, a very valid and vital form of journalism. Um, and I'm wondering, like, did you, at, at that early stage, did you were you sort of passionate about reporting and journalism, um, following news or, or news cycles or interviewers or anything like that in any way? Not at all. Yeah. So I think for me, the interest in that kind of storytelling perhaps was spurred on with an artist's mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, an actor's mindset. Mm -hmm. So I was always interested in what it felt like to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as a child, that really um, caught my imagination. I wanted to know what, how much you could use your imagination to make yourself think you were someone else. Like I just, yeah. you know. Yeah, like yeah. many kids, just had a really active imagination. Yeah. So I was interested in the concept of empathy and maybe sort of magical transformation or something, like mm. actually turning into someone else. So I think I've, I've often imagined what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes yeah, right. in a very um, in-depth way. Yeah. So I think my interest in many, many forms of performing arts or storytelling come... That's my entry point, yeah, not yeah. journalism. Um, I am intimidated by journalism. It feels like a really yeah. intellectual concept that 
I find hard to, you, have you hard read, to relate to. Have you read a lot of journalism lately? It doesn't actually come across that way anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I don't perceive what you're talking about yeah. as journalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, it's just, I mean, I'm just thinking, listening to what, you know, how you, how you sort of uh, went about things through school, I realised I, I was really passionate about journalism at school like I actually followed like war reporting and stuff that you know I, I was never going to do that I wasn't trying to be a correspondent or anything like that but I read all the kind of active accounts and the memoirs of the key people and I got really I think because I made this sort of idea that the one way I could legitimise doing writing was to pursue some sort of form of journalism mm. so then when I got that in my head you know I was reading poetry and song lyrics and play scripts and novels and whatever but I was also like going to the library at sort of 14 and 15 and, and, and going and finding the journalism section and teaching myself to read this stuff that some of it was really heavy and yeah. I was and um, I'm not at all suggesting that that's a correct way to do anything but I just wondered if you had any of that sort of background because you've ended up doing uh, you know what you're doing I think is a is a, is a a valid and creative version of reporting like it is it's you know isn't just storytelling it's reportage what i was what i was looking at in the library at that age was biographies yeah, yeah i was obsessed with autobiographies. yeah same yeah same and that was kind of it's funny because i didn't realize that was weird but i was talking to someone recently i'd loved young adult fiction and stuff yeah, too, yeah, yeah. but i went through a phase of reading biographies even of people i was not interested in That's but i to just get wanted to, to the story of artists right yeah like, isn't it? Is that what? Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I remember reading. Yeah, some really. You know how you're talking about war reporting and heavy stuff. I was reading heavy yeah. lives. You know. Yeah. But yeah. then also, like I wasn't. I didn't really even know who Courtney Love was, but I remember reading her biography because yeah, yeah. I'd heard of her. I was just consuming first, everything that I could. My first music book, if you want to call it a music book, was at thirteen. Was a book called The Murder of John Lennon and it was intense, you know, like it was it had about a paragraph about the Beatles, it was yeah. all about the actual death and the investigation and I loved that book and I lost it and then I bought a second hand copy of it a while ago and then, it was, and then I gave that away to someone and I was like I'm never actually going to read that again <laughs> like, but it strikes me as quite a weird first music book yeah. but I carted that around for years and sort of like tried to sell it, you know, onto people. No one my age wanted to You've got to that. listen to this book. You've got to read this book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you do after school? What's the move after high school? Uh, I want to be a famous actor, so yeah. I... Yeah. Go to Too the, impatient to be an actor first by that point, or, or <laughs> just, just, to just the, recognizing where the money is. <laughs> the massive fame and fortune yeah, yeah. of being an actor in New Zealand. Mm. I went to the next the next phase of life that everyone and Alex went to, which was Dunedin. So yeah. I grew up in a small town and the big city was Dunedin. Yeah. Um, so I went and studied there and I was really intent on doing things differently to the way other people did. So I worked really hard at school and made sure that I got university entrance. Yeah. Like I was a really studious kid and I worked really hard, but I was, yeah, determined that I, I was going to have the choice to go to uni if I wanted to but I didn't want to because I wanted practical experience as an actor so I mm. went to Polytech which yeah. is not exactly how to get that but I just was way more interested in doing the thing than the theory behind mm. the thing yeah um so I went to what was then called 
the Aoraki Polytechnic uh, Institute of Television, Theatre and Radio. I was going for the theatre, but um, yeah, it's weird how I circled back around to radio because when I studied there, I was encouraged by a tutor to pursue radio. And I only knew radio as um, FM radio. Yeah, song, like, songs and a bit of banter in between. Happy and, breakfast yeah. hosts. Yeah. And I just didn't, after, you know, being a really earnest kid and wanting to know what it's like to be other people and being true to yourself, I couldn't imagine just having to put on a show every morning and be like, I'm so happy all the time. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would want to talk about what was really going on. I was like, I don't want to be an FM what breakfast did, host. What did they see in you that they... Uh, made them think radio I wish I could you, tell you they didn't, yeah. I don't know um, I think you didn't work that out either I th- I thought of it as them just recognising in me some skills I had learned through theatre like being comfortable just talking yeah, yeah. and being seen because radio as I'm sure many people who have sat in this chair understand feels really intimate like there's a microphone yeah. and you just it's, it feels quite exposing but because I had been on stage and had a huge interest in just peeling back the layers and being like, this is what it is, yeah. kind of thing. I felt quite comfortable, yeah, talking crap on the radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is what we were doing on our student radio station. Of but, course, that's um, what they're there for. Yeah. And there was a writing element too, which I think perhaps I was good at. Um, but I held on to this intense desire to be an actor, even though I found it really emotionally challenging. Yeah, like I, when I think about that crazy commitment to that dream that I thought I had, it it was so, um, I don't know, it seems like it was quite damaging how intensely I pursued it. Yeah, right. Only to learn later on that actually I don't feel very comfortable in that world. Right. I was just going to say, did you, did you feel, um, cut out for it and very good at it at any particular point or did you just think I've done enough to be at this point and no one's told me get on the bench you're rubbish so I'll just keep going you know like pretty much the, the second thing yeah like I I was so committed to it and yeah. I think I had confused being committed as, as, for being good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm turning up so I must be that's what yeah. I mean and no one's saying actually you know what don't turn up so you so you get some kind of um some kind of idea that I can't be the worst at this. I can't be absolutely terrible. And because I keep turning up, I must be quite good. Yeah. And I it's think. so hard to know yourself at that age. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. couldn't, like, I had no idea. I was just kind of following this thing I'd always been following. And I understood that if you persisted at something, eventually it would happen. Yeah. And I kept just pushing and pushing against this thing. And um, auditions and stuff like that just really destroyed me. Um and I would just keep going back. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think it was very good for me. And I don't. I think I was too sensitive to be good at it. Actually. Yeah. 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 And that took quite a few years for me to realise. Yeah. yeah. And is music stuff happening or not really? What ended up happening is I auditioned a couple of times for Toy Fakari because I was so you know I had to go to the best school because I wanted to be the famousest, yeah. most yeah, yeah, awesomest yeah. actor. Um, so I auditioned two separate years for that and both times I got through to the callbacks but then I didn't get into school and both of those experiences at callbacks were just so um, I keep saying things destroyed me and I don't think anyone intended to but because I was really sensitive and so so attached to this idea when things didn't go well or I felt challenged I just had no 
legs to stand on like yeah. I would just be completely wiped and basically in tears immediately because it was so so important to me and the last time I went through to the callbacks the only time I sort of felt like I was standing in my body comfortably and just being like I can do this all good was when we had to sing and I just went man I feel so much more comfortable singing than I do acting there's so much less self tied up in it it's just mm. a sound and a thing that feels very comfortable maybe I should be pursuing that so singing was always a part of acting and music was kind of tied up in that through musical theatre but eventually I just went why am I pushing so hard against this door that will not open yeah 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 yeah. so then I went and studied yeah jazz vocals for a bit um what does that um give you what does that entail what do you get from that and you know how do you feel about it at the time um at the time i was super excited um because you've channeled all of that energy that was split between sort of two things into one you've picked the path yeah and and you've gone this makes sense and i went i don't have to keep going to auditions and feeling so incredibly vulnerable and like i'm being judged which of course i am because that's what an audition is (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) but um it felt more like felt way more relaxed about it yeah yeah um what did it give me it helped me learn to communicate with other musicians yeah. so i'd always had kind of um melodic ideas but no idea how to get them across to anyone else um and actually it was just quite fun like one of the classes was rhythm so yeah. you would just sit there and clap rhythms uh, yeah, and yeah. learn about the way different rhythms interlink and stuff and it was just mesmerizing and awesome um and yeah, another class was Cause jamming. <laughs> it, it seems to me that acting actually seems to be uh, could be way off here, having never done it at all, and 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 having no real facility or buy into that. But acting seems to be actually about some really deep collaboration. But I imagine at the time when people are learning it as a craft, they perhaps don't see that at all. Like they're focused entirely on themselves, whereas music is more overtly. Um, a collaboration by nature of just, you know, the whole idea of forming a band or being in a band, even if you're not the greatest improviser or collaborator, you're collaborating by turning up and joining in on a piece of music. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, but I feel like um, the vibe I got from trying really hard to be a great actor didn't feel collaborative, and that could have Mm. been because I was not yet... No, well, that's Growing what I mean. Up. At that time, you're in, you're in, you're firmly in your own bubble. So, yeah. You know. If I was, if I felt at an equal level as the people that were making the stuff, mm. I reckon it would be awesomely collaborative. But yeah. I just so badly wanted to prove myself. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that the power was in the hands of someone else. Yeah. But yeah, then when I got to music school, it was more. Yeah, maybe it has to do with sound. So, like, if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know who was making what noise yeah, and yeah. who had any power. And you can affect people regardless of your chops. You know, yeah, like it doesn't yeah. matter how technically you can play. Um, sound and vibration works in a different way. And and I would think, like, again, in those sort of e- embryonic type stages in terms of learning and, and, and attending, like, a school, um, acting is about, you know, it's almost like more like a tennis match. I deliver my lines and then you deliver yours. And it's these aggressive volleys to one-up. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas, whereas um, you're chucking the ball round with music, more of a continuation of a of a conversation rather than like 
panic monologues against one another or something, you know? Ideally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that. But I just mean I think a lot of people would understand that more obviously in in terms of how music is going to work. Yeah. It's less sort of one-upmanshipping. Yeah, yeah. If you're in a band. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you're not a guitarist. (laughs) (laughs) And you haven't got control over your own amp. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so what do you do with that? So you, you, you get to meet some people who are obviously good yeah. and you get to understand how to communicate with them musically. You learn the language and you learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it brings out what in you? Um, good question. It made me understand what I was good at and not so good at. Yeah. <laughs> and because I spent so much energy and time as a kid wanting to be an actor... I didn't, I always loved music, but I didn't pursue it at school, so I didn't learn an instrument properly. I've always been able to hit drums because my dad taught me from when Mm. I was really young, but Mm. I haven't played them in a band or anything. I can just, you know, entertain myself and keep a rhythm. Yeah. And I'd tutted around on things, but I didn't really have any proficiency, so I went to jazz school using my voice as an instrument which is all very well but I didn't really know how to read music um there was a lot of things I didn't know but then part of what I dug about it was that I couldn't read music but I could hear things and I had learnt by ear so I could still participate yeah yeah and I guess that's another thing there's a few different entry points into music which I really dig yeah um but while I ended up feeling kind of technically stunted I noticed um that I had an imagination for music so yeah. it made me want to write what was in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I was hearing. So that was pretty cool because yeah. I'd never actually spent any time sitting down writing down ideas before. Mm, mm. And I kind of went, oh, I feel like I know the difference between a good song and a not good song. Yeah. And I didn't realise that not all musicians have that. Yeah. So what, what I um, know a little bit about what you've done with music is that you seem to me to be someone who... Um, goes away and studies music and I don't mean like I don't mean like so much so that there's no heart and soul in what you're doing quite the opposite you you just you look to things that could be influences in terms of um, direct sounds you'll try to approximate but you look you seem to look and listen a lot wider than that and get a bigger picture of how you could create something you know, stitched out of those things. And um, I wonder if that is how you came to doing your podcasting and whether this, you know, did you go away and spend a lot of time, I feel like you went away and spent a lot of time researching podcasting, getting to, like, listening to various different ones, getting to understand them. I think that both with music and podcasting, I was never intending to do research. I was just totally lost, lost in a thing that <laughs> yeah. I really dug. Yeah. yeah, so like listening to music. But that's the best research, right? Then it becomes, Oh yeah. look, I didn't, I didn't spend hours listening to music so I could become a music reviewer, but I sort of did. But it was just something I was already doing. And so then when you go to, I was interested in writing too, and when I make the decision to write about music, fuck, I've got this great... Um, 
kind of catalogue of songs in my head. I'm a, I've been a nerd from the age of 10 listening to like records and writing down the lyrics and writing down the liner notes so I can remember who played on what. And that's all really good stuff for what I end up doing. But yeah. it wasn't like at 12 I went, I'm going to be a music reviewer. Yeah. It wasn't quite like that anyway. And it also isn't an accident. Like you yeah. go, oh, isn't it great then that I just yeah. happened to fall into this thing? But it's like you kind of fell into that thing because, because of all you, that other stuff. That's, yeah. it. that's what I mean. So. I hear what you're saying. So, uh, yeah, I didn't... Um, I didn't intentionally do that, but I followed what I was really interested in, and that informed possibly my taste. Yeah. You know, so I end up making what I want to hear, whether yeah. it, that's music or stories. Yeah. I'm like, the kind of thing I dig, I move towards it and kind of investigate what I'm digging, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes this melding of all the different things I'm finding interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what's, what's been the kind of eureka moments for you then with either with either putting together a band or pursuing something in music or with you know what you're doing now in terms of interviewing people finding stories putting things together the, the most obvious eureka moment when you ask me that question is um, music related yeah I'll come circle back around to podcasts but um, just like I felt like I was pushing on a closed door for ages with acting I had a band that i worked really hard to try and make work yeah and I wasn't recognizing that the sheer effort I was having to put in could be a signal that it wasn't working that well yeah so I was writing songs I dug but in the performance and the communication of them and just where they ended up going I wasn't very happy um and I spent a few years just pushing and pushing to try and make it work and then I surrendered and was like okay it's just too hard I'm gonna give that up for the moment and just focus on I don't know, some sounds I want to make or some people I want to work with. So uh, after all that time, like we spent a lot of money recording and a lot of time getting things right and then it just didn't really come to anything much. It was a cool experience and I learned a lot, but it just didn't feel great. And then I went to Melbourne and hung out with a dear friend of mine who I respect hugely musically, self-trained kind of dude as well, and made a couple of songs in his home studio that ended up doing exponentially better than any of the stuff I'd spent so much time and money and effort recording. So my kind of eureka moment there was about, um, if it doesn't feel good, it's probably not. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Why would you keep on flogging this dead horse? Yeah. Um, And if you're not relaxed, it's hard to create anything um, that's easy for others to relate to Mm because people can sense tension so yeah, that was an awesome learning experience, just being like, oh man, I went and just sung in my mate's bedroom, and it sounds fantastic, and more like what I would like to sound like than anything I spent years trying to make. Yeah. Um, maybe podcasting-wise, a big lesson or eureka moment was around, I was kind of waiting for permission for somebody else to give me an opportunity. Um, I first approached Radio New Zealand... About five years ago, um, through a friend of a friend who worked there, because I wanted any way in, mm. um, and I wanted to intern, but they didn't take interns because it's a government-funded thing, and yeah. you can't work for free. You know, it's seen as exploitative, yeah. which I totally get. Um, but I tried various ways in there. I wondered if I needed to go back and study something like journalism. Yeah. And, yeah, I, nothing started happening until I just started making so I just had an idea about the sort of stuff I'd like to go and make and I bought some gear and I went and started making it 
yeah. and that was like just a cool realization that that's another cool thing about the medium is like if you can record sound you yeah. can make radio it's yeah, pretty yeah. open in that yeah. sense so that was a cool kind of moment of just taking some control yeah yeah, yeah. so when you get your recording gear and you have this idea that you can make some sort of radio some sort of podcast and you have um what are you what are you aiming to do like when does the you know i can see where the instinct for storytelling comes from but where does that come from in terms of going that's what you know like my my podcast this podcast that you're doing now these the each one is different but it's the same format i just find someone i want to talk to and i want to talk to them it's kind of an interview but it's kind of a conversation It's somewhere in between the two. And week to week, they're always slightly different, which is great because it would be fucking dumb if they were the same, you know, like they're different because of what different people bring to it. But that's one obvious kind of type of podcast. There are like, there are, you know, God, every second person has one now. So there are like fictional storytelling. There's, you know, um, these short, sharp serial things. Um, and, you know, then there are like other kinds of interview ones which I guess is what you're doing yours are interview based podcast but you're telling a story you're you're not you're editing it you're creating it you're you've got the the full kind of editorial control of it mm. um I the journey towards that kind of thing like what I've just made kind of came from what you were talking about earlier in terms of just like doing lots of listening and figuring out what I like but bef- before that came I just wanted to make something so I I was kind of making more a slice of life just interviewing people in different situations mm. getting to know how I suppose just honing my skills yeah at the same time listening to a lot of stuff and going man why don't we tell stories like why don't we use that style of storytelling in New Zealand I was wondering about how many New Zealanders were listening to American kind yeah. of story formats. Like the This American Life stuff and is the obvious thing. But yeah. yeah, and yeah. that was one of the first ones yeah, yeah. I listened to. Um, and then that in turn probably... Took me down way more down. rabbit holes, yeah, yeah. totally. And there was just this kind of... Um, I suppose it's kind of dramatic. It's also really emotionally manipulative. Yeah. The kind of editing that I do mm. is emotionally manipulative and I lean towards that I find it really interesting maybe because of the dramatic acting background yeah. but um, I like trying to make people feel something in the most efficient way I can I'm just getting them there immersing them in that moment and sounds great for that but in terms of subject matter and the way we deal with stories in New Zealand I feel there's this hangover from I don't know stiff upper lip British stoicism yeah. um, and quite a dry approach to storytelling and I think that possibly also comes just from the need for journalism to be so neutral and um, careful whereas I am not a journalist so I never wanted to make that kind of stuff I just wanted to find out how people were feeling basically yeah and um, try and help other people imagine what that would be like so that was kind of where the idea for Fathom came from is that I want there's so many good stories in New Zealand and we are listening to American stories going, man, Americans are so quirky and interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. and layered and we're just boring. And it's like, no, it's because our storytelling's not quirky and interesting and layered. We haven't had the outlet for it or whatever, but also I think, like, just listening to you, I'm thinking, like, we are quite a colonial, pent-up, you know, but 
you know, pent up sort of bunch, but also like, uh, you know, introverted when it comes down to it. I mean, I'm mostly talking to people that are involved in one way or another in the arts. So usually they are used to being interviewed in some kind of way or or looking forward to it. Maybe it's their first interview, but they, you know, they have got a story to tell and they want to tell it. But actually what, what I think you're finding is, you know, everyone's got a story and you're finding a way to bring those stories out. Like obviously it's your research and it's your angle, your vision, your decision, but you're talking to, you know, people that are unrecognisable on the street that aren't, you know, usually aren't sort of named in column inches. They're not, you know, it's not around a plug. It's not to promote something. It's about a pure story that's within them. Mm. I think it might be about like, um, trying to find out what's extraordinary about someone ordinary mm. or to find out what's ordinary about someone we perceive as extraordinary. Well, that's what you've, that's what you've created with, with Fathom. So let's get like fully into, um, doing the plug on that. Cause that's, <laughs> no, 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 it's true. Like, because, uh, you know, like people that we have as mutual friends in common will probably have already found their way to it. But perhaps there are people listening to this that, that don't know you and that don't know that this thing exists. Mm-hmm. So it can work as a plug for that. So sure. you've done three standalone pieces for RNZ under the name, podcast name, Fathom. Mm-hmm. Um, so describe, you started to anyway, but describe fully the kind of um, tagline for it and the kind of reason these, these three stories hang together even though they're not related. Okay. Uh, Fathom is about a deeper understanding of people in general I set out to um, increase people's capacity for empathy uh, which is quite a lofty goal but I felt I needed something super meaningful at the very seed of it so it's about um, yeah it's about trying to understand people who we would otherwise perceive as different um, or as impossible to understand so one of the reasons I love radio and particularly radio that's super portable like a podcast that is on your phone and in your headphones is that it's so it's with you so like you're walking along listening to something you can of course completely not relate to because you're not a sex worker and you don't have a disability or you haven't survived at sea yeah for however many days uh but it feels so natural and real because it's right there with you yeah um so I kind of wanted to use the depth of radio as a medium and also just get deeper into people's stories. So I've said it's about um, the distance and the difference between us. So like emotional difference or distance, cultural difference or distance. Um, Yeah, gender, sexuality. Yeah. I'd love to explore lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. um, It's about making things that are really different feel more similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make things relatable. Um, and so these are roughly half hour long, you know, each one's got a slightly different running time, but they're around about half an hour each. Mm -hmm. And you go pretty deep with these people in each of these stories. Um, how much rough footage, roughly, give Mm -hmm. or take, do you acquire to whittle down to, you know... To your 30 minutes? Uh, it was slightly different for each person yeah. I spoke with. Uh, anywhere between sort of four and a half hours or maybe more like nine or ten hours. 
Right. Not necessarily recorded all at once, usually yeah. over at least, well, all of them, more than more than one session. Yeah, yeah. I had at least two interviews with all of them, and with Rose, who had a chronic pain issue, I would see her kind of when she was feeling well enough over the course of a few months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, from four to sort of nine or ten hours, gets whittled down into half an hour of audio. Yeah, wow. And you're working on these, you are... Providing them for RNZ, but you are working on them, and you have obviously, like like most people doing anything creative in this country, you have at least one other job that you are doing while you are also doing this. Correct, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking on my way here in the car about how when I was a kid, I thought anyone that made anything for radio or TV that was like their super glamorous job that they did. Yeah, yeah. And it's really funny. Then you go up to the radio <laughs> and you see everyone walking around in their track pants and yeah. their jandals and, yeah. and uh, you know. Or just everyone, like, as you and say. And there's nothing glamorous about it at people all. People who are super talented and super yeah. creative just, like, having a day job and doing yeah. things outside of their um, day job. So, yeah. yeah, when I first started Fathom, I was working part-time and that gave me heaps of time and freedom to make the sort of thing I wanted to make and as time passed and I got further through it um, I ended up with a full time job which I really enjoy but which meant I had a lot less time to work on the stories yeah, yeah. so um, as episode 3 was coming out life was getting pretty crazy yeah so you deliver them to uh, uh, in the end they run one, one after the other like w- once a week so for three weeks they happened on RNZ they're still there on the on the site mm-hmm. and uh, people can go to um, can basically google RNZ Fathom and, and your name and they, they can, can find them but yeah. or they can go to the RNZ fight, uh, site and click podcasts or they whatever they, they're going to find them and so they're still being listened to they're still pretty fresh as we're talking I mean they're a month the yeah, first the last, one's about a month the old. last episode aired last week so yeah. So, yeah. um, so they're still pretty fresh they've had plenty of people listen to them They've had, um, you've had plenty of feedback. I've followed some of the feedback you've had on your Facebook page and stuff, like you personally, and then obviously you've had, no doubt, some feedback, and RNZ's had some feedback um, through them, but, you know, as someone who, obviously, I know you, and I know you well, but I listened to all three of them, and um, I, I almost feel like now I've decided that, that the order of them was perfect, because each one, in a way, got better than the one before it and maybe that's just me connecting as people do with podcasts to the host and the sort of vision of it mm-hmm. yeah so they felt like you know it's not to say the first one isn't good the first one is what hooks you in obviously but people could listen to them in whatever order they wanted yeah they're completely un- unrelated yeah. in terms of a narrative yeah and I think the reason they get better is because I learned like I made this the series and my outside of work time over about a year and a half. Yeah. So you're hearing yeah. years and a half worth of development. Yeah. So um, I got more comfortable with narration and also yeah. with writing yeah. and knowing when to like sit out of the story. Yeah, um, yeah. And also knowing how to interview someone so that I could sit out of the story. Yeah. Because yeah. it's all very well to be like, oh, I just want the interviewee to tell their story. But if you don't ask the right questions, you can't get those easy, smooth transitions and you find yourself having to summarise what somebody said over, you know, 10 yeah. minutes into just 20 seconds of transition. Did you have, or do even outside of, like, not to compare to the work you've done and not to... Uh, but are there 
like people in podcasting that you go, man, that person's fucking great. Totally, yeah. I don't think that takes anything away. Um, I really, really dig Leah Tao, who makes a show called Strangers. She's part of the Radiotopia Network. In the States, they have so much public broadcasting and the kind of narrative-driven podcasting scene is really big. So there's kind of a melding of public broadcasting and this listener encouraged and supported I don't know it's like a mixed funding model yeah. and it works really well and it's creating some amazing things and Strangers by Leah Tower was definitely one of the things that inspired me to make the kind of stories I wanted to make yeah um, and another one I love is Love and Radio which uses also from Radiotopia uses um, really interesting sound design and super quirky approach to storytelling so yeah. less narrative and more kind of um, I don't know, it dropped you in at a d- different point and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't assume you don't know like it it doesn't talk down to the listener it makes you kind of work for it yeah, yeah, yeah. which I really dig so those are two that I love I used to be a big fan of This American Life and I still think what they do is amazing but I really like stuff that's a little bit more raw and maybe less produced. Because I feel like you put me onto a couple, like you you put me onto Death, Sex and Money podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I have actually gone through and listened to everything of that. Like, and, you know, some aren't as good as others, but I've really warmed to the, you know... Um, Anna Sale? Well, to her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's really good. I always... I, I think her approach is great. And most of the stories now, particularly since she's back have been really good again like there's the odd you know there's the odd one that's kind of a little bit maybe too American for my tastes or yeah, something yeah. like that or just too too obscure yeah but um, there's some pretty amazing pretty heartbreaking ones and then the um, because she talks about people about those, in theory it's about those three things um, but you know, they do some quite good celebrity interviews as well. And I like those ones the most, I think. Yeah, yeah, because because they do them in a different way. Like yeah. They, they, I, I think, was it you that told me about the Lucinda Williams one? Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the first ones I listened to, and, and I've interviewed Lucinda Williams, and she was cool. Like, I had a really good interview with her. But, so I kind of listened out to her interviews, and I think that has to be, like, by far the best one I've heard, the most re- revealing yeah. kind yeah. of one she's done. Yeah. And, um... And yeah, so there's been some good ones, and maybe you told me about Criminal as well. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I love which, Criminal. Yeah, I which I'm pretty that. into. Like that's pretty pretty easy and yeah. pretty good. And again, I feel like that's kind of um, got a little bit tired of it for a little bit. And it, right now, the last few have been really really good. Yeah, they come and go. Yeah. Um, I love Criminal. I think it's awesome. I really like True Crime, and I've listened to a few kind of procedural True Crime ones, which I like, but which um, take. I'm really impatient as a listener, so yeah. I think that's why I enjoy that package stuff. Yeah. And I really don't have patience for more conversational podcasts, which is funny because here yeah. I am and yeah, yeah. <laughs> <in the> study. <laughs> um, yeah. What else do I like? Uh, I liked this what? British one called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Oh yeah, yeah. I still haven't um, got to that, but I've known about it. It's for really a while. silly. Someone was around here yeah. the other day just saying how they just started it and they love it. It and depends what your tastes are, but it's about this dude who's it's it's a true thing. It's about a guy whose dad wrote like an erotic pornographic novel, 
and he reads a chapter each week and, and talks about with his, with his friends and it's yeah. really uncomfortable and if you listen to it like on the bus or as you're walking through a group of people <laughs> you find yourself kind of guffawing at this ridiculous um, yeah, yeah. yeah British dude but that's a real good one and I liked oh that homecoming one yeah, yeah some fictional podcasts I really like I started listening to um, Welcome to Night Vale yeah. and I lost patience for that because I just, I'm not good at not knowing what's going on. Since it's the big topical one, have you, it probably won't be by the time this runs, something else will have come out, but did you, have you listened to Shit Town? I listened S-Town, to the last, it, last yeah. episode as I cooked my dinner before right, I came here. Right, Yeah. How did you feel I've, about that? I've got some feelings. Um, I think it was good. I think it was great. Yeah. But it wasn't to my tastes. Yeah. So like, I appreciated the storytelling style and the kind of, sweeping idea you got of a life but I just something about it was lost on me yeah yeah, yeah. have you listened to the whole thing I have I, I kind of uh, binged it heavier and harder than I have yeah uh, and I was overall I was deeply disappointed by it I I, uh, I reckon by the time of the kind of big reveal at the end of the second episode I probably should have switched it off because I felt uh, after that it became pretty um, exploitative, you know, like it was. It's something. I mean, I'm a, I'm a total fucking skeptic, you know. Like I'm really sort of cynical uh, in general. I think now it's an occupational hazard or whatever. But I just, I still thought there were some really good things about it after that. But I just felt it was unfair, unrealistic. Um, uh, it, you know, there's 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 a lie in there that we're not, you know, getting you know, that we're not really getting to the bottom of. There's a sort of, there's a lie in the decision to publish it because they clearly, you know, it's a great trick of editing. They clearly decided, fuck, okay, we've got all this content, we can't do anything with it. Oh, okay, this is the story, which is great. Like, that's part of what you're doing. Well, there wasn't a story until that happened. Well, (laughs) no, no, sure. talk about this without giving anything away, but like, there wasn't a story, and then there was a story, and that's when it became kind of exploitative. But that's what I mean, like, they have pulled the rabbit out of the hat in terms of creating something for people to listen to. Yeah. And I was totally drawn into the very sort of gothic southern storytelling stuff, and I wanted it to be a fictional podcast and, and think on some level it is still uh, and I couldn't handle the, the, the host, the producer I, I, I felt he was borderline ridiculous you know, as it went on, I just didn't feel comfortable, it sort of um, feels like, you know um, <laughs> it worries me that like it was a guy who'd never met anyone interesting or quirky before and so his mind was just fucking blown Sort of like, man, have you ever been to the Hawks Bay AMP show? Like, <laughs> fuck, you could make a podcast about every single person who puts up one of those. Well, that's kind <laughs> of, of what I felt about rides. it. It felt a little bit like podcasting or that kind of podcasting has peaked. Like, yeah. you can go really deep into any life, and there is something interesting mm. of a sort there. But I just kind of wasn't interested in the yeah. depth of those lives. And yeah, and there's I've a couple. Also, I think the second to last episode. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. very um, uh, unnecessary. Like an appendix or something. Yeah, yeah. it's really unnecessary. Really, it's a, it's a tangent yeah. that could have been left out. It doesn't really. Or some really context that could have been provided way way earlier and yeah. in passing rather than yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because it? I didn't find it exploitative for <laughs> if you if 
you're listening to this, dear listener, and you've also listened to Shit Town, you'll know what we're talking about. And if yeah. you haven't, then maybe you should listen to it, and then you will know. But yeah. um, I didn't find it exploitative from kind of episode two on. I started to think of it as exploitative in the last episode, where I was just like, man, mm. from a mental illness perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the stuff you're I felt talking very about. It's just about that. the sort of vulnerable thing that happens to someone when they're not well and it's just yeah. kind of uncomfortable but yeah I suppose the well, fact I that felt, we're talking about it means it has something yeah, yeah totally I felt a bit of that in the very first episode I remember uh, yeah. I was walking around town listening to the first episode the rest of them I listened to at home yeah. you know actually over the computer pretty much and that first one I just within within probably the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes of it certainly halfway through it I became very sceptical and uncomfortable about what was going to happen even though I couldn't possibly know at that point I just felt what you're digging into here is essentially your your lead character that you find fascinating as a study of mental illness I just also found the lead character unlikable and I'm really impatient like it's just yeah. I just need to like people or else yeah, I yeah. can't get as much out of it which is showing, you know, the lack I mean, on my behalf, but I was just like, oh God, you're insufferable. I, I, think, it, I think it's great that, uh, I think it's so cool that things like that can just become like talking points. Like I've had, I mean, this is the first in-person conversation I've really had about it, but this is a podcast that's only, you know, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. old. old and people are really just getting to it now. Loads of people are finishing it off. And I've had several online conversations about it and I've had three people message me and basically say I want to talk to you about that. It is interesting that chat about Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool that it, you know, because we grew up um, really with not much of an idea of the classic old radio drama. Mm, You know, kids' stories in the morning were fucking awesome. I love those. Um, And I still like really great interviews on RNZ and other stations and obviously I like listen to loads of podcasts but listening to them mostly for myself you know for my own interest and a bit of research or whatever but because I'm interested in the person or the podcast but this has got people you know wanting to discuss it like like but I feel like the 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 key in a way to all of this is that is that TV series The Jinx the, which, uh, which is a sort of um, well it's a documentary that was cut up into like six half hour episodes it's right. really a long documentary film but mm. it ran as a mini series and it's a, probably three or four years old now and I feel like that's kind of been a big influence on things like shit town it's quite cool how formats are bleeding into each yeah, other yeah totally like, yeah. but what I mean is no one no one no one bats an eyelid about the idea of discussing a TV series that happens all the time or a mm. film, but now it's getting to the point where no one bats an eyelid about talking to a podcast, talking that, about a podcast, yeah, which is so great. Cool. So, so yeah, you yeah. share a secret and so, an experience, like yeah. Cool. And and the end result doesn't need to be you know like I don't regret listening to Shit Town. No, neither. I, I just I it just it was so compelling. It, was, it totally, of course, I was sucked into it, and I'm not cross that I didn't like it. That's a great outcome to have. Because yeah. it means I engaged with it. You know, I didn't just drift off and go, like people do, oh, it was okay to listen to. I mean, what does that mean? Mm. <laughs> you know, like... You As a character study, it was pretty interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, learn and hear different people. But just in terms of the 
the narrative and where it went, I was just, yeah, not not fully with it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if it wasn't good, we probably would not both have listened yeah, through yeah. the whole thing. So. <laughs> so any other ones? Hmm, let me see. Because um, I'm just thinking now, like, you've, you've dropped enough names that, <laughs> of podcasts that yeah, people yeah. would be probably quite interested in. So what else have I enjoyed? There is another true crime podcast, if that's your cup of tea, called In the Dark, which I quite liked. Yeah, I haven't checked that out yet, but I've heard a, bit, a few people talk about that. And there's another podcast which was short-lived. I only had one season, but it was about kind of like big news events or big events and going back to them and kind of um, re-examining them and talking to some of the people who were involved. And that was really well made. It was called Untold. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like a cold case kind of thing, but not... It was one of those things where they had a theme, but yeah. it was super loose. So yeah. it's basically just like real good stories, but it's called Untold because yeah. there are elements of particular stories that yeah, are familiar right. that yeah. we don't know. Yeah. yeah. And the stories aren't as familiar to us as Kiwis as they are in the States, but they're still really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's super well made. Yeah. I basically, like, I obsess over stories, so I'm always listening to stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something to be said for being a consumer of the thing you make. Sometimes people get so busy that they can't, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, And there's also something to be said for not listening to anything because then what you make is kind of fresh, but I just... It's hard to do that, so right? um, caught up in... Yeah, I think there's something quite nostalgic and childish about just being told a story, you know? Yeah, it's cool. yeah. And, you know, like, there's always your own... There's always your own... Hopefully, the, the point of it is there's always your own way into it. You know, like, there's always your... You know, when you're producing something... It's always going to get your personality mm. into it. And, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but the first couple of times I did this podcast, I worried that um, people were going to tell me that this was like a really shitty version of Mark Maron. And when I, and you know, I, I listened to that guy, I listened to his podcast, and I don't, I don't mean that there's any comparison, but just because at the start I started talking about um, at the way I introduced the person, I could almost hear his voice in my head, but I was trying really hard to react against that, not sound like him. Um, but I'm introducing a person to talk to, and then I go, right, let's go to my conversation with that person, and then we have the conversation. And I'm like, on a very basic level, that's exactly the same thing. But if you're going to be exactly, and if you're going to be found guilty of, you know, like, but it's really funny. I got over that really quickly, but probably the first two, yeah. maybe even the third one. Um, over you know over a year ago I went oh god like this is not gonna people aren't gonna respond to this because of that and then I'm like I don't really give a shit like mm-hmm. that's fine and no one has ever said that <laughs> you know like uh, that was just my own you know absurdity you know my own absurd anxiety there mm-hmm. that went away pretty quickly I've just been thinking about um, podcasts in general and how I feel like the buzzwordiness of like have you listened to this podcast or that podcast? Is yeah. Taking away from what's actually there, in a way. You know, just talking about the format and yeah. how it's borrowing from things and people are talking about it. People are talking about it, but I feel like heaps of people who could be really enjoying a particular show or series of stories are not experiencing it because they're like, oh, yeah, podcasts, they sound weird. Or like, yeah, I'm not yeah, into yeah. that kind of thing. And I feel like it is just kind of a, like a podcast is just kind of a distribution method. Yeah. Really what you're listening to is a show. Yeah. Or a series. Or an interview. Or an interview. Yeah. Or a story. Then yeah. it's just like saying, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of this 
when I say I feel like, I actually mean I am not really into the word. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I just, yeah. I feel as though it's missing out on yeah, some yeah. seriously good stuff. Well, the form has already transcended the delivery method too. You know, yeah. like, like the name was thought up as a way of a, sort of recontextualizing a radio format through a device. But now, like, people listen to podcasts on their computer. They yes. go to a site and they don't even bother downloading them. They well, don't... they're listening to the radio and someone says, yeah. this is a podcast. You're like, actually, no, it's, it's not. not. It's a radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I got really worried uh, this morning because my phone did some fucking update and then it ran out of battery at, like, and it had to charge for ages. And I was like, oh, no, I've got all these podcasts on there. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm sitting at a fucking computer all day. Yeah. I know, I'll just go to the site. And, and it felt like I was cheating on my phone with, like... <laughs> the, it's quite delicious, though, all the ways you can come at it. Well, it's too. great. That's what yeah. I mean. Like, I'm now, like, actually pretty, you know, used to that. And I will and, and I will just pick and choose different sort of ways to approach and listen to them and all of that. But, yeah, the, the term podcast has outlived its, you know, and, and it kind of is back to what essentially it always was, a version of radio. Mm. Like, it is a version of radio across internet channels. Kind of like a resurgence of radio, right? When everyone's like, oh, yeah. it's not going to last very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And and the good old-fashioned, like, radio drama and, and banter radio and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you had, um, you were going to tell me a story about a podcaster as well. Okay. What we were talking about. Where I'm on your podcast, being interviewed as a podcaster. About. wanted to tell you about this podcasting um, <laughs> geek out that I had, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, um, a while ago, I contacted Strangers, which is, yeah, I'm here the to tell first, you, it's my favourite. first podcast you named. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was interested in what I might be able to learn about that style and that format. Um, so, I emailed the show and... I think I said, I can't remember what I offered, just like, can I help you in any way, like, I really want to know about what you do, just reaching out kind yeah. of thing, like, oh, well, I've got nothing to, to lose, I might as well give it a go, and they wrote back, and they were like, we're not taking anyone on at the moment, um, I don't know that we have any opportunities for you, but we are looking at um, sort of enlisting some story scouts, so, you know, if you know of a good story where you are, it's so global too, that's the thing yeah, about yeah. radio, is it's easy to make something and then just send it across, yeah, you know, course. it's super simple, so um, I was part of this kind of story scouting group, um, and we would meet monthly to sort of talk about stories we were working on and things that could possibly work, and it was kind of like a workshopping group, but with an idea that we might be able to help strangers, which is what we were there for, so that was cool, um, and I went to the States last year for a trip, and was just like, oh, I'm coming through LA. Anyone in the story scouting group, like, anyone got a, a couch I can crash on kind of thing? Yeah. And um, the producer of Strangers, who named, her name's Laura, she kindly offered to put me and my boyfriend up. And when we got to LA, she was like, oh, there's been a change of plans. Um, I can't remember what was up with their place. Something was going on at her house, and it was, like, very inconvenient to have guests. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was. I can't remember what it was. For some reason, I could not stay there. They just moved to an apartment, and it was small. Something was wrong with it, or they had some kind of bug situation. Anyway, um, she's like, oh, you can't stay with us, but you can stay at Leah's, because she's away. 
And I was like, at Leah Towers. And she's like, yeah. And essentially it meant that when I went to Los Angeles in the hope that I like might be able to bump into this person I completely idolised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would in fact be staying in her home when she was not there. Yeah, yeah. Sleeping in her bed. <laughs> hanging out in the bedroom where she makes this podcast that I absolutely dig. So, yeah. Leah Tao kindly opened her home to me and I stayed there uh, for a, a week. Uh, <laughs> right, wow. Went to Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. Um, experienced the awesomeness that is Los Angeles. And one time I needed to hang up I was doing like some, you know, traveler washing in the sink or whatever, and I needed to hang something up. So yeah. I went into her wardrobe just to look for a coat hanger, not wanting to yeah, buy yeah, or anything, yeah, yeah. but like, I'll just get a coat hanger out. And I slid the door back, and the wardrobe was lined with foam, and <laughs> there was a microphone in there, and that's when she records this show, and I was just like holding onto my head, going, How did I get here? What's going on? And that was pretty cool, just in yeah. terms of how small the world is, and they continue to encourage my work and take an interest and be totally decent people and there's a kind of a really lovely sort of scene or community of storytellers and it's way more open than you might think and I just love that that's how connected everything ends up being and one of the great (laughs) things is you've seen that there's nobody in it whatsoever And it hasn't put you off, you know, like, as you're seeing tonight, you know, but I mean, you've been here loads of times, but, but you know, like, here we are in your studio. yeah, 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 slash study, slash Office. lounge, slash yeah. stair, spare room, room. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's cool though, because you find that it's just people making stories about other people and it's, yeah. um, it's really cool. Yeah, and yeah. So I'm going to go, we'll go back to Fathom because I think we should, um, give a little bit more context around the the episodes cool so the first episode is you actually ripped through and gave them as examples before but people might have not picked up that those were the actual episodes so i feel i want to sort of spell it out for people um so the first episode is called sex love work marriage the second episode is called the heart is invisible and the third is Oh, what did I call the third one? Qualified by experience. That's right. And, yeah. what, and the first one you talk to... The first uh, episode of Fathom is a story about Megan, who is studying for her PhD and also happens to be a sex worker. Uh, and the story is about uh, how she and her fiancé manage their relationship. Yeah. And kind of about what it's like to go to work and sleep with people for money mm. so um i was reflecting on the stories i've heard from sex workers in america where the people are humanized and you get to hear who they are um and yeah. who they know and what they're into and and it's not scandalous stuff about like oh i've got a drug habit so i'm you know prostituting myself so that i can afford this scandalous situation it's it's more like Oh, I get up in the afternoon and I choose my outfit and I go to work and, you know, it's real tiring. Then I come home and watch TV, you know, like just yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but also super interesting stuff about what it's like to be a sex yeah. worker, which is and a world we don't often get to see into. And you put the word sex in the title, so that meant that like RNZ Lister of Karori clasped her pearls and listened, you know, <laughs> with bated breath and was sort of... Yes. And it did very well. Like it was there a very was. popular... Um, there was some discussion about whether blowjob was acceptable. Right. Uh, 
and it is acceptable. Yeah. So there you have it. Yeah, because Megan says uh, the other thing that she says in it that I thought was great was as she said, "Oh, can you something about?" She's talking about sexual massage and stuff and then she says and I don't know if this is appropriate for radio but you know it's also called rub and tug yeah and there it was and it was like so that's obviously okay yeah but <laughs> but did you have a lot of that that you had to cut out because of that because of some sort of meeting of a standard RNZ was actually very uh kind of open to the story and they have standards so there are things they can't say yeah but they did at the start there was kind of a this contains sexual themes and yeah, may yeah. offend some people kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they were pretty cool with it. Yeah. 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 Which was neat. And actually, um, Brian Crump, who hosts nights, which Fathom was on for three weeks in a row, um, he said that they didn't have any complaints about the sexual content. Yeah, good. And that all the feedback was good. Yeah, good. So that was rad. So the second episode uh, is you talking to... Rose. Yeah. yeah. Rose is... Um, a creative human being with a lot of talent. She is a musician and a sculptor, and she also has um, a machine in her heart. <laughs> so she has like a cardiac defibrillator implanted in her chest, and I suppose she died when she was twelve. She had a cardiac arrest unexpectedly when she was twelve years old. Yeah, and uh, that was in her parents' kitchen. And she was gone for several minutes. She was gone, yeah. Uh, and she came back, she was defibrillated when the ambulance arrived. And the story is about the implications of that and how it's kind of resonated through her life. Yeah. And held her up, you know, held her back, but also given her particular insights. And um, it's kind of about how she takes control of her life. And you referenced earlier that how like you could only talk to her at times when she was well, because she obviously gets very exhausted very easily and yeah and, and, and very low I think yeah. like she um if you have listened to the show you might be interested to know that Rose is doing heaps better she's managing her pain a lot better and she wrote to me to say it was really interesting hearing where she was story at because she's because, cha- you know so much has changed yeah, yeah, so yeah. she's still really great which is awesome yeah um well, I, I found that a f- absolutely fascinating listen you know it's just because it's that thing that you sort of say that you're kind of trying to um, present these stories for us that you cannot fathom them, but you can't imagine what it's like to be like that. And what you do, and I think what you do so well with those, with these stories, is you do create the situation. You are essentially just interviewing a person and getting their story from them, and you're using really great editing and soundscapes and soundtrack and music and so forth, and you're editorialising. But what you do within the opening minutes of each episode is you make people go, imagine if my life was, you know, that one. Or imagine if I knew someone that was that. And and you can't, but you spend the episode... It's in, so cool to hear. Tr- which is what you're after, because you, yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to engage with and, and create empathy. And you, and you, I feel that was a real successful thing about them. And, and maybe particularly with that episode, because yeah. maybe with the first episode, that is just something that's going to, you know, blow people's minds and they're like, yeah, well, that's, that's fine. I don't, you know, you mm-hmm. can imagine all sorts of versions of a, a stuffy conservative listener going, I, I don't mind that that exists, but, you know, not, <laughs> not in my house. And I don't, yes, I don't want to I don't wanna know anyone who does that and all of that, which is ridiculous because Ooh, the, pe- the people you interviewed in that story were not only interesting and candid, but you could tell they were 
you could tell they were both genuine and nice people. Like, you know, it wasn't... wasn't and super it was, smart. And, yeah. and super giving for for your story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was nothing wrong with it, but I, I just sort of thought, like, I could imagine people closing the door on that one. Yeah. Whereas you mentioned a person struggling with a heart condition with something going on, and, that, and you're just like, whoa, you know, you're there, you're there wondering, like, what impact that would have on you or anyone you knew. Um, yeah, Rose's story was interesting to me because I admit while I'm sitting here that whenever somebody mentions chronic pain, like, oh, you know, I, I could do that, but I've got a chronic back injury. Yeah. I'm immediately sceptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm really not proud of that. Yeah. I think it's kind of gross. Yeah. But it just is a thing. Like, it's so yeah. hard to understand someone else's yeah. pain. Yeah. I think I just said Rose's words. Like, I've edited that story for so long. Yeah, yeah, she does yeah. say that at one point. It's yeah, just yeah. like, you can't actually wrap your head around it. You can conceptually go, oh, yeah, you're not feeling well. But you don't know what it really means physically yeah, totally. and, like, how much that affects your yeah. life. And so I was super interested in that because even after sitting with her, I was like, I completely understand your situation, but I still find it hard to accept. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to keep pushing against. Yeah, yeah. The third one... Which you mentioned the title of. That is you talking to... That is me talking to Rob Hewitt, um, who 10 years ago was separated from his crew when he was diving for seafood off the Kapiti Coast and, uh, yeah, ended up submerged up to his neck in the sea... And bobbing alone for three nights and four days. And yeah. this was a big news story. Like this it was huge. This was on the TV and in the papers yeah. uh, every day, with updates and. Yeah, it was a huge story, and it's again, it's really hard to get your head around because yeah. I don't know how anyone can survive that long, even like without water or a weight. Like it's just a long time to be alone. Yeah. Um, in the elements, maybe yeah, yeah. in the ocean and. Uh, definitely against the odds managed to survive and his life was at a real turning point at that time and the way it affected his kind of life and career onwards is really interesting to Mm. me and also that his story wasn't necessarily given the time and space and attention it deserved for itself yes but was in the spotlight because he's the brother of a former all black yes yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it was a former all black at the time yeah 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 Yeah, it's so funny so what you do really well in that story is um yeah is is give him the chance to talk i mean you know i'm sure he's had a few other opportunities since but you give him the chance to really talk through all of the event and the before and after as himself, not as newsworthy guy doing a quick grab for a story. You know, mm. like so much time has passed and he's had so much time to think about it. But he sort of talks through where he was at up to that point, that turning point stuff. Mm. And supplies, I think, background that maybe was covered in some way at the time, but I'm, I'm thinking about my own listening to it. I kind of kept having these well moments and then going, Maybe that was told to me in some of the news stories, but just so fleetingly that I forgot that. So to hear it, you know, with his benefit of hindsight, felt really, really strong as well. And he's a really good storyteller. Yes, his voice is... um, 
there's something in his voice I just found absolutely captivating. Like, yeah. It's just like a great voice for radio. Yep, it was a real gift of a story. And that was the first story, actually, that I got from phoning somebody out of the blue. So, yeah, I was just going to ask, what was your... Because you didn't know you were out of the country or something. You didn't know that story I didn't know that, that story. well at all. A friend heard Rob speak at a conference because he does kind of, yeah... Yeah, motivational public and public. Speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like talks at events and motivates people and sort of draws insights from his story. And when I was telling a friend about my Fathom project, she was like, oh, Rob Hewitt would be fantastic for that. Yeah. Um, his story's great. And I was like, Who, who's, who, who's, who's he? Who's he? Yeah. I think I must have been living in Aussie at the time mm. when that story came out, mm. or under a rock. I can't quite remember mm. which, but... Um, well, maybe it was his rock. <laughs> but I, yeah, I wanted to talk with him, and I'm quite afraid of the phone in general, yeah. which is weird for someone who's so into sound and stuff, but I just disembodied voices when yeah. I'm interviewing someone it just I feel very nervous but I called him um and somehow he was gracious enough to be like yeah cool sweet yeah I'm happy to talk with you when would you like to do that hmm. so uh that was a really cool outcome I thought yeah yeah being able to actually sit with him and be yeah have him give the story over warts and all like I yeah. thought he was very generous and uh he didn't have anything he didn't want me to include in the story he was just comfortable it kind of showed me how committed he is to working through what has happened yeah yeah because yeah. he's just he's being honest yeah and yeah. he's completely recognizing the magnitude of it without worrying about um drawing a definitive understanding of it yeah he's still is, figuring is it out exactly yeah but part of the process is talking to people and talking about himself and events and, and interviews and that and so he recognises and addresses all that he can but yeah he's still uh, I mean why would you have a you know why would you have a def- apart from feeling lucky or whatever that is you know how could you draw a definitive you know conclusion from something like that was what I remember thinking listening to your you know yeah. to, to your story trying to make sense of something just so going how does immense. a person just go oh well that happened, I move on. Onwards it's I impossible go. Yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sort of brought a real integrity and spirituality and, um, you know, philosophy to that. And you can see how that's informed all of that for him. Totally. All of those things. So, I guess it's a great... Yeah, you feel a great honour and privilege to... Well, with all of those stories, because they're all very personal stories. Hugely personal. Yeah, I... U- unique stories. I am sometimes baffled at how trusting people are when they give over their stories. Mm. Um, and I suppose I work to build that trust. Yeah, of uh, and it is definitely something I take seriously. Uh, but it, it is an incredible privilege to sit with people and have them just kind of... Because I'm looking for depth, I kind of... There are things I sort of say to someone before an interview just to try and get them to relax. And one is that I'm not looking for sort of suffering or scandal where there isn't any. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if it is mundane, tell me about that. Um, but people will quite often go to places that I wouldn't want to go to myself if somebody yeah. was talking to me. So I just, um, I guess that's just shows how powerful stories can be. Yeah. And oh. also the kind of um, 
maybe the amateur approach, like not being a hard-hitting journalist, uh, but yeah. just being another person there to yeah. receive something. Well, you know, journalist, as a term, it's, you know, like second-hand car salesman and stuff, like it's always loaded with that baggage yeah. of, like, you're after me and you're you're going to shit on me kind of thing. Like, there's still a lot of people that still think that, including people that completely and utterly don't value journalism. They they still think that, you know, well, if you place no value on it, why do you care? But they still think the journalist is out to, you know, trick them or something. Hmm. Even the way I phrased that was pretty rude because <laughs> I was like, because I'm there as a person, like, not a journalist, but no, no, journalists are people. No, 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 of <laughs> no, no, no but, it, but they're not in a lot of people's minds, which is crazy, but well, it's what true. what they represent is something different. Exactly, yeah. it's because it's the... And so, yeah, it's, no, it's, that's a fair way to put it because that is how people see it. Mm. I've, I've um, found with, well, I've interviewed people uh, uh, for many years cut over the phone, particularly in a bit in person and doing those annoying kind of 10-minute phone interviews just is no fun. Like, well, occasionally it's a lot of fun, but only when you get to extend it. You know, like, you mm-hmm. hardly ever get off the phone after 10 minutes and go, wow, that was amazing. Yeah. It's when you can get someone like Damon Albarn, who you're shitting yourself, to even spend 10 minutes with, and it turns into 25 minutes, and it's great. Or, you know, whatever, like, talking for an hour with Sonny Rollins, you know, when you don't know what you're going to get from him, and it's amazing. So, obviously it's great, but, yeah, the standard 10-minute phone interview is no fun. But... What I'm finding doing this is I sort of think, I wonder if you can speak to this at all, but I've sort of been thinking about it a bit lately, and also with all the podcasts I listen to, I think uh, on some level, you know, like you listen to Baron's podcast, he primarily interviews comedians, well, they'll talk all day, and obviously actors and stuff, and people with with, uh, stuff to push, Um, but maybe we, we do so many of our conversations online, and we forget what our voice is like. We don't use our actual voice all day, some people, until, you know, you know, significant other comes home or whatever. Mm. Or you go off to one meeting and that's when you talk. But the rest of your communication is these fired back little missives via f- devices that maybe that's why sticking a microphone in front of someone actually has almost the opposite effect now to the cliche and they do open up. Yeah, I've, I've just been thinking. Yeah, I've been thinking about that quite a bit lately, you know, like I wonder if that's... If that's part of, like, the rise... Because podcasting is not yet... Like, it's over a decade old. And it kind of had this peak and just almost almost disappeared. Mm. And then now it's massive and, again, all over, you know? I think also, too, that sending little messages back and forth on your devices, you've got the time and space to, like, make yourself sound a certain way. You yeah, can, like, yeah, package not, your message. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when someone asks you in a room in real time something it's, it's um, nice to hear the inner workings you know it's nice to hear the 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 little fluffs and yeah. the and the and the baggage and the um and the nice fond attachments to things like yeah because yeah, because when you um get asked via email to respond to things you can be quite clinical mm-hmm. and not only is you know there's all sorts of problems with email in terms of tone but you can also you know, just focus on the highlights and be very clinical of something and not sort of say, oh, this is where I fucked up. Or even just stumble through explaining something. Like, it's really... I had, uh, you know, Dave Dobbin was probably my first, like, I guess, uh, coup or something for this podcast. Like, a really big deal for me to, to get hold of him. Like, I've enjoyed talking to absolutely everyone, but 
um, he was certainly on my list as a hopeful. Mm. And then he was very, as he often is, very or always has been with me, very generous with his time. But I think he um, didn't like that he ummed and ahed a lot in the first ten minutes. And I and I sort of said, that's great. Like I I like that because we were just having a conversation. Like the great thing is we weren't having you know you didn't have to have your answers ready like mm-hmm. I was just sitting with you over a cup of tea at, in your studio and we were just sort of tinkering with our conversation like you might tinker with a jam session before you know and then you choose the bits to release the thing the thing with releasing all of it or almost all of it is I, I sort of feel like the power is with both the interviewer and the interviewee mm-hmm. you know like you're never going to get misquoted unless you misquote yourself, you know, like yeah. you, if you say too much, well, you know, it's kind of too late. And, and yet I always, as you know, I always say to people beforehand that we can, we can decide areas we're not going to go into and that, like I'm not trying to trick anyone, mm-hmm. but if someone goes to a place and they weren't expecting to say that, that's their call, not mine. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a nice sort of, it's power for both me and that person, you know, whoever the other person is. It's power for both of us because it's like I'm not the bad guy. I didn't make you go there. Yeah, and yeah. You went there and you own it, then that's great, you know. Like, and that's kind of what happens when we start telling our own stories to our exactly. more comfortable. Yeah. Um, when you mention like online communication and stuff, that's something else that drove me to want to encourage understanding of different types of people because. This is not new, but yeah. we're so in these bubbles of being surrounded by people with similar thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's so easy to decide that someone with a different view than you is wrong or weird uh, or, or whatever. Or all of their views are obviously ridiculous by this one snapshot. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's so dangerous in yeah. terms of just like keeping society healthy and keeping people well and like yeah. also just expanding your capacity to understand other people. Like that's a, an important thing to have. And we just. It seems that consideration is getting less and less important, and I wanted to kind of blow it up again. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Which so is probably why I did stories and yeah podcasts you, in the first place. You did a, you've done a few others before Fathom. They're not your absolute first. You know, like you 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 mentioned, I went and bought some equipment and started experimenting. So you went and caught a few other people in some conversations, and yeah. they were people with again like very personal and unique stories. Yeah, I wish I could do those again. There's a thing like yeah. when you get better at something. Yeah. Um, oh, you mean do over those ones? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think now I have more of a sense of what I'm trying to say and how I'd like to say it, whereas before yeah. I was just like, oh, that's an interesting story. I'll get that. Um, plus, I did just approach it as learning, like yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. training myself. But that stuff resulted in a series of sorts for the wireless. Yeah. And then that's kind of how I got the opportunity to have some stuff on RNZ was one of the stories I made for the wireless ended up sounding quite profesh, I think. Yeah, and yeah, they were yeah. like, oh, that's an interesting one. Maybe yeah. we'll repackage that for Radio New Zealand. So after they'd done that, I had the chance to kind of go, oh, this is this thing I've really been wanting to do. Yeah. It's kind of in line with that story that you guys liked. Yeah. How about it? Yeah. Yeah. So what is the plan now? You've got you've got these three in the bag, and that's that that was the series. Mm-hmm. But do you you obviously go for a while? You go right. I'll just get back to my life of working full time, and that will be enough. So that's kind of the immediate focus. But what do you um, what have you got out of it? What have you got out of it, and what has it opened up for you? Or 
you know, what has it inspired you to want to do next Perfect World? I think I want to pitch a couple of the stories to some of the podcasts I really dig in the States. Yeah. Because it is... Because they're not just New Zealand stories. That, that's, yeah. yeah, they're people stories. Yeah. And they're interesting. Yeah. And I think Kiwis sound even... Like, you know, a weird story yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. even weirder when it's coming from the other end of the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm interested... Actually, one of the first stories I... The way I got into Love and Radio, one of my other favourites, was a story about a New Zealander. Um, and it sounded so interesting to me to just hear, like, a Kiwi accent on this American show. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would like to see if there's any interest in those stories going further. Yeah, because yeah. talking about what I've got out of it, I just, I got three great stories out of it. Like, I'm really pleased with how they ended up. And that, I'm not always able to say that about something I make. So there's that cool. crazy episode of Criminal that's about the Harry Potter fan club thing that's mm-hmm. centred around New Zealand. And also, um the what's the murderer one which is ridiculous those two female comedians that talk about oh, fa- my favourite mur- my favourite murder yeah yeah and they oh David Bain yeah they that's did, right they, like one of the most popular ones like around the time that podcast was really blowing up was when they did the David <laughs> it was I mean, so it's, funny it's, hearing it yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah so um and so yeah so you want to pitch to international and then what about making more I'd love to make more um, it was real funny because I spent I spent ages making Fathom and it kind of ruined me. Yeah. Like it came out the other end just a shell of a person because yeah. to get them, the first two were made with plenty of time because yeah. I was working part time and then the crunch came on at the end because I was working full time. So yeah. I was editing that story. Uh, and it was the newest one too. Yes, yeah, yeah. in the evenings and in the weekends and then the evenings again and the weekends again and that yeah. went on for about six weeks. So I just worked and edited and worked and edited and recorded and you know rinse yeah. repeat for five or six weeks and yeah. I was just like exhausted um, and I forgot that people were going to listen to them and so now yeah, that yeah. they're out in the world and they've been going well and I'm just so stoked that they're out there and they exist and now they belong to someone else you know yeah, they're yeah. out there and people can just listen to them at their yeah. whim uh, that's been really energising and cool and a nice reminder of why I did it in the first place. So yeah. I would kind of like to just reflect and reset and get back out there and get some stories. Well, Although, I, what, who knows where they come from? What did I, <laughs> I? I think I said to you at one point, like if nothing else happens, you, this is your business card. Like you've and you you know you've created a. <laughs> this is this is going to make a shit compliment, but you've created a spectacular business card. You know, like, <laughs> it's a re- it's a really <laughs> it's a really shit compliment. But you re- but you know what I mean by that. Like you really have like this is good, this is far surpassed just the idea of a business card. But then it's also that like it is a place where people could go and find these stories that you have um, facilitated, that you have dragged out, that you've created. Helped people create, you know, or help people with the retelling. That's the other thing is taking like a smidgen of credit for somebody else's yeah. story. You know, that's such a controversial idea. I think. Yeah. Um, well, this is the problem. This is like shit town, you know. And, yeah. And um and the the worst one, I think. I don't know if you listened to it, but the missing Richard Simmons podcast. Oh yeah, I did listen to that. I, I was I even had forgotten more, about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that was really, you know, that blew up as the biggest podcast on the on the internet, and the existence of podcasting nearly for a couple of episodes, 
and it ended up being clearly far shorter than it was going to be. It wrapped up as quick as, and I've listened to that guy be interviewed on another podcast, and he is not telling the full story. Like ah. he is totally hiding the fact. I believe that um, some legal? kind of legal mm. stuff was 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 uh, coming down hard on him. You know, was about to. I really believe that. Wow. Yeah, no, I because like... he talks on Katie Couric's podcast right afterwards as like as, she, as like a kind of scoop, like she's yeah. got the scoop with him, and he's largely disingenuous. Wow. Like, yeah, I liked that one, but I again I'm impatient and I like something to have a meaning. So when it got to the end, I was like, what does it mean? Um, yeah, but it was also it was it was <laughs> the exploit thing was in the whole idea that Richard Simmons never signed up to it. So why why has this guy got the right to decide that he that he needs to be found if he is indeed missing in any context? And it was kind of just like a series of episodes applying pressure on him to provide an answer that he obviously didn't want to provide. It was great that he included that. Well, it's a bit of a spoiler, but it doesn't matter. It's gone. But it's great that he includes that bit where, uh, I think it's quite towards the end, where he talks to the manager and the manager sort of says... Um, nothing about this podcast is good for Richard you know I thought I thought that was really great that he included that yeah that was probably about the best thing he did in the edit yeah but there um, is a yeah there's a weird kind of it's hard like talking about Kiwis and being backwards about coming and coming forwards and stuff I I feel like we do need to get better at just accepting when we've done a good job and being comfortable with that so like I am trying to acknowledge that part of the reason the stories are good is because I made them that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, um, it's really, it's complicated trying to figure out what your role is as a storyteller when it's not your own story. Yeah, Because essentially I'm not telling the story, but when you look at sort of eight or nine hours of interview and then 25 minutes of product, it's like it's being yeah. crafted. Yeah, yeah. But it's not mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I also quite like that. I like that kind of facilitation role. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, Helping something become more potent. I yeah, think that's yeah. my favourite thing yeah, about stories. You're facilitating it and distilling it. Like you're shaping it. You're deciding what's of interest to you and hopefully to an audience. And you're owning up to that too. Like it's your brand. Like whatever the whatever mm. the branding is. Like in this case, your you know your stuff, Fathom. That is your brand and your creation, and so it's your angle. And you're there guiding people through it. And I suppose if you don't do it with integrity, then it doesn't last because people aren't going to keep coming back to you. Yeah. That's something that frightens me once I, you know, talking about the burden of trust or whatever. Yeah, Once yeah. somebody's happy to tell a story, you're always, yeah. like, waiting to hear how they felt about it. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that story I mentioned that went from the wireless to Radio New Zealand was about someone who had survived a pretty horrific accident. And I had uh, committed to telling his story in a way that was not uh, scandalising that, yeah, yeah. but more about his mindset as an athlete and how that helped him overcome the circumstances. Yes. And, yeah, when it when it first went out, the way it was packaged online was not how I said it was going to be, and I was so afraid oh, yeah. that he was going to be mad with me after yeah. he'd sort of, like, really poured his heart out and been so vulnerable, which is what makes yeah, the story yeah. so beautiful. Um that he was going to turn around and feel betrayed. And I didn't hear from him for six months after that story. God, yeah, yeah. And I 
that was another story where I contacted somebody out of the blue through mm. a connection, so it wasn't quite like the Rob situation. This guy's named Jamie Nickel. He's an amazing mountain biker. The story's incredible, but um, I contacted him out of the blue, and he agreed to speak with me, and I hadn't heard from him, and I was, like, really... I didn't want to talk with people about the story because I felt like if he's not happy with it, then it yeah. wasn't good. You know, like, it's not a success if he's not yeah, feeling yeah. like he's well represented. Yeah. And then it turns out he had been very busy... Uh, competing in the world of mountain biking, mm. you know, getting things done and being awesome, and he just hadn't had time to get in touch. And we're not, because we're not Facebook friends or whatever, he didn't know how to get to me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He ended up finding time to email to say that uh, it was the kind of the truest and best version of his story that he yeah, right. had heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And could he please have a copy of it so we could keep it? Yeah, yeah. And I was like <laughs> crying at my computer yeah, yeah. with relief, going, oh my God. Yeah. But isn't it, yeah, I mean, when someone, I mean, I, I think I've said this to you before, but I always think about like when I was writing the blog for stuff and I'd done a couple of interviews, but then, I, this, and this is my version of um, probably like, the equivalent of the hours you put into your podcast and then chisel back. I work for probably six months to get a Phil Judd interview and he hasn't spoken to anyone in any amount of time that I'm aware of. And I go through several different people and it's kind of like a dream project that, man, I'd love to talk to this guy. He's a hero. I love his music. And I finally get the okay. And it means that much to me that I take a day off work and, you know, sign up for a day of annual leave so that I'm, I've got however long he's going to talk to me. We talk for two hours and then I just get straight off the phone and start writing. And it pours out and I write, I don't know, a couple of thousand words or whatever. Maybe a bit longer actually. And it's and I'm really pleased with it. And it goes up. And I the editor comes back to me and says, yep, no, that was cool. That's a bit different. And um, I've managed to secure it on the front page of stuff. And I just, my heart just sank as soon as I heard that. I just went, oh, God. And I clicked on it. And there's a picture of, they've composited a picture of um, of Tim Finn and Phil Judd with a lightning bolt through the middle. And they've written, no longer friends, F-R-E-N-Z. And that's their, like, take on it. And it's like, this is a serious fucking piece of writing with a... You've been given something. That I've yeah. spent fucking ages on. Yeah. And you have trivialised it down to a woman's weekly cover fuck you and I actually wrote back to them and said you know please get rid of that that's fucking embarrassing and they did actually they did take it (laughs) but they they took it down with a sort of like uh, oh well you've just lost your spot on the front page of stuff and it's like okay I think I'll live like I would rather you know like I know this is no bastion of like journalistic integrity (laughs) like operating with you guys but I think I'd like that graphic to be removed you know and I would rather people find this story if they want to like there's it's times not it's about not a clicks. big deal and there's times when it's totally gutting oh. yeah mm. so I always have you know I'm always feel like that's a good example of like yeah organisations fucking with your shit <laughs> <laughs> basically you know like yeah yeah so well what's in the pipeline then what are you going to do with music is that coming back into your life I feel like you've had quite a big break from that I have I had a total hiatus after the stuff that I said went well which is yeah. weird but I just was like okay well that's that and I'll get on with life you've been um, pretty busy so yeah yeah. I would really like to get back to writing I really miss um, whenever I see someone else 
singing, I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing that. I used to do that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But is it like that, though? Like, do you go, I could do that again? No, you go, I used yeah. to be able to do that. I wonder if I can still do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm really out of practice. Ooh, I don't know if I can. Maybe it's time to just put a cork in that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what's in the pipeline. But I um, have ideas, and I would like to kind of continue the project I started. Um, so, we'll look into that. But, yeah, full-time job, music, and radio production quite the full plate and part of the reason I'm so fascinated by stories is because I really enjoy people and their stories and spending time with them and the more I'm locked in a room doing a thing the less I'm kind of actually experiencing that and the way that stories come to me usually is through just chatting with people mm. so yeah I don't want to get too you miss way too much yeah, yeah. anyone who's been real busy will know that it's just like ugh. It's been nice to um, to get a bit of your story or the, this context, although, like, because I've interviewed, like, quite close friends before and find that really interesting, trying to talk to people that you know well, that you don't just break off into, like, the typical banter. Mm-hmm. But actually, this is probably quite quite close to a lot of the kind of conversations we've had anyway. Like, we yeah. do talk about, you know, these things that we're doing and trying to do. So, um, but it's been great. It's been cool. Is there anything else? What, like, anything else you want to sound off about? Is there anything that you wished I'd asked you? Uh, good question. I don't think so. Anything else to plug? Uh, no, I think there's been quite enough of that.